Good morning. I think it's on. Can you all hear me? What? Oh, yeah. I won't preach from all the way over there today. I'll be standing up, moving around a little bit. We've been talking about peace um, the last few weeks, peace with God, peace with ourselves. Today we're talking about having peace with other people. Um, and it's only from the first two um, that we're able to come to this connection with others where we have peace. Now, the key, obviously, we said, having peace with God, um, because when we have peace with God, everything else just kind of flows from that, you know? Um, We come to God admitting that we're sinful and that we need Him, and we come to this relationship um, that is wholesome, that is healthy, and from there, we have a healthy view Um, not only of God, but then also of ourselves. And it's from there that we start to have this healthy view of who others are in the eyes of Christ and be able to connect with them and work through anything that we need to work through with them. Because God, all throughout his scripture, calls us to reconcile. He calls us to fix conflicts. And his example through Jesus always gives us kind of the the what for of what we need to do as followers of Jesus. But the problem is sometimes we don't want to reconcile with the people that God wants us to. We're like, I don't, you know, we're like Jonah. We're like, okay, I'll do anything you want except go to them. (laughs) I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to reconcile with them. Sometimes it's difficult because we approach the person to reconcile, but they don't really want to have anything to, to do with it. They don't want to reconcile with us. So, all we're doing is kind of sticking our hand out like this. All right, let's fix it. Let's, okay, just going to, all right. My arm's getting tired, you know. Sometimes we'd rather just live in the awkwardness, not really deal with the situation, but just kind of, you both know that there's a thing, but neither one of you really want to deal with it. So you just kind of, okay, well, hi. Uh, I don't want to be in the same room with you, but... I guess we'll have to do it. But sooner or later, we, um, we got to acknowledge the elephant in the room. We, we, have to, we have to deal with the unresolved conflict. Because when we have that present, it's, it, it is very awkward. It is like having just an elephant over there in the corner. And sometimes you don't recognize that there's one there. Sometimes you do, but you don't want to deal with it. Or sometimes you recognize that it's there and you run away. It's a story in the Bible that I always go to when I think about reconciliation, when I think about conflict, when I think about peace. It's Jacob and Esau. The two of them, they grew up, they're twins. When they came out, Jacob had a hold of his heel. And they're like, all right, this is an interesting relationship already. From there on, they they kind of grow up and they're extremely different people. They're the polar opposites. You see Esau and he's just this manly guy. He's a skillful hunter, outdoorsman, and he's just like covered in a carpet of hair as they tell us. Jacob is more of kind of the the soft-spoken, just kind of chill out, like, hey, let's hang out in the tent and read a book or something. I think I'm more of a Jacob type of guy, but it's okay. And uh, they grow up together, and they have these different interests, these different, different, um, different parents that they connect better with. Isaac very much connected with Esau, and his wife, um, Rebecca, very much connected with Jacob. But Jacob was kind of sneaky, and after a long day of being out in the field, Esau comes in, and he's, he's so exhausted. He's like, oh, 
You're making soup. Whew. Can I have some soup, please? And Jacob, being as crafty as he is, okay, you can, you can have my soup. He's over here. He's stirring the cauldron. You can have my soup if you give me, if you give me a birthright. He's stirring the soup. And Esau is on the point of starvation, quote-unquote. So he looks, <laughs> he looks over and he's like, I'm about to die, so I might as well. Here you go. And he gives him his birthright, and he's like, ladles him some soup. Here you go. It's kind of this first move towards somewhat of an even more difficult relationship between the two of them. Um, and it keeps going, and, and Isaac, <laughs> Isaac decides, as Esau is the first one to come out, he's the firstborn, so he's going to give him his blessing as the firstborn. He says, I want you to go out, and I want you to find something, just kill some." kill something, and bring it back and give me my favorite meal, because I'm going to die soon, and that is kind of sad, but I want to bless you before I do. And he's like, sweet dad, I'm so excited for this. So he goes out, and Rebecca's listening in, and she says, hmm, he's going to bless Esau. Well, while he's out, Jacob, you're going to get all dressed up like Esau, and you're going to go in, and you're going to get the blessing because you're better. So you're my favorite, so you're going to go in and, and, and get this. So he's like, mom, I don't know if you've noticed, but Esau's really hairy, and I'm very much not. Don't know if you've noticed. You, you did give birth to both of us. <laughs> She's like, don't worry, I have a plan. Go take one of, the, one of the lambs, sew some stuff together, put it on your arms, and he won't be able to tell the difference. And I've always wondered, every single time, like, how hairy is Esau? If Isaac's not able to tell between, like, sheep's wool and his other son's arm, who he has raised from a child, like, how? Like, how hairy is this man? Good grief. But he goes, and he gets it all together, and, and he puts on these little gauntlets of sorts with the, with the sheep's wool, and he wears some of the robes, and she makes this delicious meal for Isaac, and he, and he brings it in. He's like, hey, Dad, I've, I've brought you your meal. And he's like, you're back already? Like, how, how quick, how did this happen? And he says, God's blessed me. God's blessed me in my, in my conquering of this animal. So right away, he, the first lie happens, and he throws God under the bus to support him. And he doesn't believe him. He's like, okay, you don't sound like Esau, so come here. I'm going to feel your arm. And he feels his arm, and he's like, it's hairy like Esau, so it must be Esau. So he starts eating the food with him and everything, and, and after he's had something to drink and had something to eat, and he brings him along, and he's like, come here, give, it, give me a smooch on the cheek. And he just like, smells him. He's like, he smells like Esau, so he must be Esau. He's hairy, he smells. It's got to be Esau. This is weird. So he gives them this, he, he gives them this beautiful blessing, and and just shows his son how much he loves him. And Jacob, kind of, as he has kind of snaked his way in, he steals this from his brother. And as soon as he is left, Esau comes in. And he's like, Dad, I've brought you your meal. Let's go. And he's like, what are you talking about? I just, I just gave it to you. I gave you my blessing. And he's like, what? what? I, I just got back. What are you talking about? And both of them are livid. He's like, don't you have a second blessing that you can give me too? Come on. And he's like, I only got one. Like, come on. I can't do this. 
and they're so mad. And obviously this huge rift comes between Jacob and Esau, and Jacob runs away. And he's gone for a while. He spends some time um, as, a, as a servant of a man named Laban. He ends up marrying uh, not one but two of his daughters um, through a series of unfortunate events for him anyway. And through this, he, he, he sort of reconciles with God. And God blesses Jacob very much as he's the line of Abraham. He has a very large family, and he becomes very prosperous. He has lots of animals. He has lots of land. He has lots of um, riches. But all with that, he decides he wants to go back and talk to Esau. It's been a very long time, and he wants to talk to his brother. So he sends some messengers to talk to Esau, and they, they come back, and they're like, we met him, and he's bringing a lot of people and a lot of stuff with them. So Jacob, after this long time, he gets afraid again. And he's like, what do I, what do, I do? Esau's going to kill me. He's still mad after all these years. I can't believe it. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We'll break up the camps. You guys go on this side, uh, and we'll stay on this side. And if they attack you, we can get away. Super shady, of course, um, as the current as he's always been here. And I love it because chapter 33, I have written in my Bible right here, what a reconciliation. Because Jacob lifts up his eyes and Esau's coming and he sees him. And he's like, all right, this, this is it. It's go time. I better just go see him. And he runs up and he wraps him up in a big hug and he gives him a kiss on the cheek and they both just wept. They had, to be, they had to be separated for some time in order to come back together and, and after reconciling with God, come back and reconcile with each other. And it's just a beautiful story. Another situation we can run into when we have this elephant in the room is that we recognize that it's there. We recognize that there's a problem, but we take it out on the people that we love or the people that are, we are in conflict with. And I see this very much um, a few chapters later in a long story as well of Joseph and his brothers. Um, Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob. He was the second youngest, and he was the favorite. Um, Jacob was, he was very obvious about uh, Joseph being his favorite. He gave him this fancy coat, and he he made it to where the other sons had to do more labor than, than Joseph. And Joseph, well, he, he, kind of, he kind of owned it. He really did. And he had a couple of dreams. And while some of these dreams were very true, he interpreted them wrongly. And he came to his brothers and said, I had this dream, and, and I was this big sheaf of wheat, and all of you were smaller sheaves, and you bowed to me. And that's going to happen someday. And I hope you get, <laughs> just get ready for it, because you guys are going to serve me. And he has this other dream that involved the, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, and they bowed down to him again in this dream. And, and this is just continually making his brothers even more and more angry to where finally they just get fed up, and they're like, all right. And they throw him in a, just throw him in a hole, just leave him there to die. And one of them kind of comes to the others, and they're like, you know, it's kind of bad that we tried to kill Joseph, we should not do that. Let's just sell him to the slave traders. That's better. 
So they, they sell him to these Midianites, and the Midianites take him down to Egypt, and he ends up being placed in this guy's house named Potiphar, and he's really well connected with Potiphar. They like each other. They work well together, but Potiphar's wife has an eye for Joseph. So she comes to Joseph, and she wants to do some terrible things with him, and he's not having it. So when she confronts him, when they're alone in the house, he runs away, she grabs his robe, and he's just streaking through the rest of the house to get away from this adulterous woman. But then she cries wolf, goes to Potiphar and says, he tried to do things to me and I didn't want it, and get rid of him. So Potiphar gets super mad, throws Joseph in jail, and just when he thought that it couldn't be worse, he's you know, he's in the jail, he's going to be sentenced soon and all that. There are people around him that are getting their heads whacked off, it's great. But he interprets some dreams. He uses what gifts God has um, given him. He connects with God through this and is able to interpret these dreams for their truth. And the Pharaoh connects with him through this. And it's because of that connection that he becomes very great. He becomes very blessed in the land of Egypt. And some time passes, and he's kind of this bigwig Egyptian guy, and his brothers return. There's a famine in Israel, and he recognizes them, but he doesn't say anything. But he just, out of his supreme knowledge, he says, where's your other brother? They're like, well, we had one, but he's dead. And the other one's back home with dad because dad doesn't want the other one dead okay, go get your brother. So he sends them back home, and they go back, and they get the brother, and they bring him, and there's kind of a a series of events again where he talks them, he tests them, he puts this goblet into his youngest brother's bag to where they have to come back again. And at the very end, he tells all of his people, he says, everyone leave me, And his brothers come in, and he's like, I'm Joseph. Hey, you thought I was dead. I'm not. I'm super powerful, and I can help you. Come help. (laughs) Come take your family. Bring your people down, and you won't have to worry about a thing. You're going to have food. You're going to have water. You're going to have everything you need. Bring Dad. Please tell me he's still alive. And again, it's this, (laughs) at that point, they come together, and everything's been resolved. They're so happy to see each other, this beautiful reconciliation again. And that's just what God continues to do through his people. Many times in recognizing this elephant in the room, you do both of them. You, you take it out on the people that you love, and then you run away. This was my situation. I came home from college, and my freshman year, I came home for Christmas break, and uh, a couple of days later, my brother, he's, I have an older brother, and some of you have met him, they came and visited earlier in the year, and he um, told the family, and I won't go into too many details, but essentially told the family, I don't want to be here anymore, I don't want to be a part of this family anymore, and I'm leaving, I'm moving out. And I was so angry. I'm, um, I'll just tell you a little bit about the, the Backoffner family, um, the Backoffner side of the family. This is more me and how me and my dad operate. But 
we don't really have like a, a normal angry. Um, and I tell you this, we're, it's not an unhealthy angry, but we get really annoyed. And then if it's anything more than that, and it does take a lot, it just kind of goes up to like a rage. Um, so I can, both my dad, who is significantly older than me, and myself, we can count on you know, one or two fingers the amount of times that we've had this in our lives. And this was one of those times for me where I sat across, and I'm glad that I had a table between us because at that point in my life, if I hadn't, I would have hidden because I felt betrayed. I'd been gone for four months. It had been the longest amount of time that I'd been separated from any of my close family members, and I'd miss them dearly, and I came back, and I felt like it was a slap in the face, that he didn't miss me, that he didn't really care that I was gone, that he didn't want me to be there. So I... (laughs) I stood up, and I just ripped into him. I, I didn't hit him. I didn't, I didn't touch him at all. But I, I let him know how I feel in very, very certain terms. And I just, I, I screamed at him. And I walked out, and I closed my door, and I locked it. And he left the same day. And we didn't talk for six months. And when it was the point that I, and this was because my mom asked me to, I came back to it. We started, quote-unquote, talking again. I made it very evident to him how much I didn't want to have a relationship with him, where it was one or two word answers, where it was not including him in a conversation or having a laugh with mom and dad, but he's over there and just kind of pushing him, kind of... Having him in the room, having the elephant there as well, but not really acknowledging or not really being willing to set aside the difficulty there and, and figure it out. And it was at a later point in my junior year, so this took a couple years um, for me to work through a lot of what happened, a lot of what I was feeling, which, boy, I do love doing that, to where I felt very convicted from the Holy Spirit, and I was telling me, you, you want to be a pastor, you want to do this, you want to tell people how it is to follow Jesus, but this one area of your life, you're kind of putting it off. You're saying, this area of my life doesn't belong to God, this relationship here doesn't belong to God, I'm going to deal with it how I think I should deal with it, and if you want to lead people well, you can't do that. I said, dang it. So I called him up. <laughs> And we had a very frank conversation, um, a very difficult conversation, because I very much don't like talking about what it is I feel. So I, I told him, and I apologized for how I acted. And I told him, I, I want to have a relationship with you again. I want to be close like we were before. It's not going to happen overnight, so be patient. But I do want this, and I'm sorry for how I acted. And he again, as well, said, I really didn't know that you felt that way. Um, And I'm also sorry, and let's work together to make this a Christ-centered, you know, relationship between two brothers, two family members. And as simple as that was, it was a beautiful moment, because I didn't think prior to that, that I would really have a relationship with him again. 
we are, it's been a few more years, obviously, and we're, we're back to normal. We do Bible studies every week together. We've been going through James. We're going through Colossians next week. It's, it's a good and healthy Christ-centered relationship. This is what God can do when we find ourselves in the midst of conflict, when we're trying to attain this peace. And in approaching that, approaching reconciliation, it can be super easy for all of the, the, the stories that I told you this morning. It can be very easy to look across this barrier between you, whether it's an actual physical barrier like a table or you know, the, the, the conflict that you have and be at odds with that person, have it a you versus me thing. And, and, and it can be very easy to just say what you, <laughs> say how you feel in the moment and then just go your own way, you know? Um, people just, and, and I did this as well, and you just look at it and you walk away from the conflict and you temporarily, I guess, achieve peace when really you're not, you're just walking away from the conflict. But this is even more easy as well <laughs> with the rise of social media. If you can get into an argument on Facebook and then, all right, well, they said some things. I'm just going to dip out and there's the conflict there as well. But peace takes time. God gives us that. God gives us this peace that surpasses understanding. And it's, as we said prior, that it's when we attain that, that we um, have that connection with God, that we're able to come back and have a connection with the people that we have hurt or have hurt us, that we have these conflicts with. And for Jacob and Esau, it took time. It took years. For Joseph and his brothers, it took years. For me and my brother, it took years. And like, like Jacob, we, we like to wrestle with God about these things. We like, to, we like to give our reasons for not wanting to do it. I gave God many reasons not to, but to obtain peace with others, we have to walk through conflict. There's really no way around it. Um, that we have to be willing to set aside some of the, the emotions. And while we still acknowledge the hurts, we say, <laughs> I love you, I forgive you, and I want a relationship with you. And God gives me the strength to do that. Peace requires... Um, as a result of this as well, an adequate amount of grace. And it is solely because of Jesus and what he has done on the cross that we have this, um, this example. So as a, as a credo, as a bottom line, if we desire to bring peace to others, bring peace to our relationships, bring peace to our conflicts, we have to forgive others as Christ forgave us. We have his example on the cross. We have his example of um, looking at a people who very much wronged him, who had every, every opportunity to do the right thing, every opportunity to say yes to Jesus, but continually, time and time again, have betrayed him, have sabotaged a relationship, and he still made his way to the cross. And he still made his way... Um, to the punishment that we deserved. He came to the people that needed him, and he forgave them. 
He dealt with their sin. He got rid of it. He made it to where we could have this relationship, to where we can mend the broken ties that we have in a broken world. So as we, as we pursue this with others, as we look at our relationships, as we look at our conflicts, may we forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. May we look at people through the lens of how Christ looks at us on the daily and love them as he has loved us. Let's pray. God, we love you, and sometimes it's very difficult um, when we are broken people to love other broken people. Sometimes it is very difficult to step up and fix something that needs to be fixed, to, through the help of the Holy Spirit, to approach one another and mend what wrong we've done and mend what hurt we've caused. Keep your spirit close to us, God, as we navigate a season where family is very close and sometimes family brings the most hurt. And that um, even when others don't want to connect with us, when others don't want to reconcile, that we would be as you are, God, continually holding out our hands, continually reaching out to those um, in order to bring them closer to you and to have healthy, godly relationships. We love you so much, God. In your name, amen.